in the vastness and darkness of space was the first time anyone experienced an earthrise instead of a sunrise. And it was in that moment that an entirely different vantage point of the earth took place. What was once a seemingly all-consuming reality, a reality that earth is where we work and where we play, where we walk in the park, where we drive to work, all of it could just be covered with a thumb, a thumb out the window. window. Earth is magnificent, but it's also really, really small. Levi Lesko, who is a pastor and author, um, and if you're a space nerd or a history buff who wants some devotional material, he wrote an incredible book um, that I'd highly recommend called Last Supper on the Moon. He said this about that Apollo 8 mission where Genesis was read from space. He said, while our feet are planted on this planet, we feel a hypnotizing pull toward the safe, predictable, controllable, and comfortable. And getting above it, Looking at it through the vantage point of heaven, we are able to see things clearly. And so in space, in the Apollo 8 mission, as he reads, let there be light, is it an invitation, an invitation that God himself speaks light into the darkness. And it's an invitation I want to give to you as we enter into the season of Lent, an invitation out of the darkness and into the light. An invitation into something far bigger than yourself, far bigger than, than earth, far bigger than your own life. Something that is adventurous, something bigger than yourself, something that from the perspective of heaven is small, but is an incredibly important part of a grand story. An invitation out of the predictable and, and controllable and into following Jesus. Following Jesus, not into chaos not into the darkness, but when Jesus says, let there be light, we know that he is the light. That Jesus is the light that brings things into the dark places, who lights up the darkness and invites you to follow him. Throughout the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of John, the Gospel writer John records the life and the ministry, the teachings of Jesus, and he highlights particularly the miracles of Jesus so that we would know that Jesus is the light of the world. And so just like Genesis says, let there be light, Jesus himself, John records, is the light. John begins in the beginning, much like Genesis begins within the beginning. And then John tells the story of Jesus himself bringing light to the darkness. And he tells that story because there's a longing in all of us, a longing for us to experience light because often our life there is dark moments. Dark days, the reality of sin and pain and brokenness, the broken relationships, the sadness, the evil we see in our world. And we, get, we are consumed with it. The hate, the destruction, the bloodshed, the violence. And it seems like if we're honest, that the darkness just continues. That it looks like we would look out into a space, into a dark, dark vastness of nothing. We need the light. And so for the season of Lent, what we are doing, we're making a move where we were in a series when God goes dark, talking about the dark moments and the, and the pain and the reality of evil and suffering. For Lent, we want to move into a season where we are reminded that Jesus is the light. That we want to focus in on the miracles, the teachings, in the presence of Jesus, that Jesus himself is the light in the dark places. The theologian A.W. Tozer talks about the reality of Jesus as the light and our need for his presence when he said this. He said, trying to be happy without a sense of God's presence is like trying to have a bright day without the sun. For some of us, that's what we experience. 
Like we're trying to figure out how to do something about the darkness. We're trying to figure out how do we do something about the clouds that loom over our life, about the pain that we're experiencing. We're trying to figure out how do I get up the next morning? How do I continue on? How do I finally just find some sense of happiness? Because the clouds hide the light. We're in the middle of the night in a season of darkness and we're just waiting for the morning. And maybe for you, it feels like the darkness isn't going to end. And so what I want to do is I want to help us shine a little bit of light in the darkness because the only thing that can help us recover the sense of joy or the sense of peace or the sense of hope in the midst of the darkness is the light. Jesus, who can bring the light into the darkest moment. Now, the first miracle that Jesus um, performs is, is a fascinating miracle. It's interesting because I'm not sure that the Bible really needed to record it, but for whatever reason, the Bible found it significant enough to say this needs to be highlighted because we need to know something in it about Jesus. Now, you may not be familiar with the miracles of Jesus. The first miracle that he does is he changes water into wine. And so I want to read a text for us um, about this happening. Um, I also want to, I want to share with you this text that John also says. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. In other words, John, when he picks the miracles that he writes about Jesus, they are important to him. He believes that they teach a message, that they're going to show us something about who Jesus is, what he believes, what he's come to do. And so John records for us in John chapter 2, the first miracle, and it could have been left out. There are plenty of miracles that were probably left out of the scriptures. John said there's way more he could write. And so he chooses this, not only this as one to include, but the first one showing that God shows up in the midst of a wedding party. That when Jesus shows up, he is going to undo the work of the enemy to do something far different. And so I want to read for you in John chapter 2. And so I'll begin in John chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize it where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. They had, then he had called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So when wine runs out at a wedding party in the first century, it is the lights going out. It is darkness overshadowing a party. It is a big deal. It's not a moment where just suddenly nobody's run out of drink, so they have to just turn to water. No, it brings shame on the family. See, it's a moment where things get really, really dark for the, for the groom and for his family because it's the husband's responsibility to throw and be prepared for a proper party, to throw a party. And if, there, if he can't do it, 
It's shame. Shame on him. Shame on his family because they weren't prepared. They should have known the amount of wine that was needed in order to provide for the guests, not just that day, but to continue throughout the week. And it's not just an emotional thing. Like certainly there's an emotional, emotional reaction to the embarrassment, but there's also legal ramifications for the groom and his family. The groom's family was liable to hold up their end of the deal to make sure this party happened. And so wine runs out, the groom's a wreck. Like I gotta imagine like him like checking the wine, the, the wine and, and see, realizing the levels are getting a little bit low and contemplating like, all right, do we start adding water to the wine? Do we water it down? What are we going to do about the situation? I imagine him like contemplating what are the places he can run and hide to because how would he face the embarrassment to his, his new wife and their family that he, he let them down on the first day of this new life together? He wouldn't want to deal with the people who are angry at him, the people who couldn't believe he would let such a thing happen. And maybe that's not unusual for you. I don't think it's unusual for any of us. That's how shame makes us respond. Shame always makes it difficult to deal with the situation you're in because the embarrassment is often worse than the thing that happened itself. And the darkness of your mind is far worse than just feeling bad about the decision you made. It's a darkness that leads you to want to run away, that leads you to want to hide, to get away from it all. And so Jesus shows up in the midst of this situation, in the midst of the shame, the shame that makes him want to hide, the shame that, like in Genesis, led to Adam and Eve trying to cover up and hide from God. And just like the God of Genesis who said, let there be light, Jesus shows up as light at this party because shame makes the joy run out. And the last thing that Jesus wants at the party is for the joy to run out because shame is turning the lights off at the party. Jesus wants to interrupt that plan. And so when Jesus and his disciples, they are there enjoying the wedding and as the joy runs out, you could imagine the feelings. But the joy doesn't run out. The wine doesn't run out because Jesus is at the party. The same is true in your own life. That although you might experience shame and you might feel like the lights have gone out, that you might look at your life and your situation and you may feel like you don't know how this is going to end. When Jesus shows up, his presence changes things. Jesus interrupts the shame in your life in order to speak truth and hope to you. The sin that you're shamed of, the, the darkness that hangs over your life and you wish wasn't a part of the story, your addiction that you keep returning to, the relationship that you regret, whatever it is, that doesn't define who you are because Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and makes sure that that thing doesn't define you. I love how the pastor, Daniel Strickland, writes about Jesus being the light of the world. She was a pastor out in Canada as well as a speaker and, um, and leads a ministry to fight, fight human trafficking. She says this, she says, he, Jesus, is the light of the world. And I've got a hunch when Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, it will look a bit like that. Opening eyes for everyone. Do you see sin? I see glory. Do you see blame? I see opportunity. Do you see past failure, pain? I see the future, hope and healing. Light of the world streaming into the darkness of a fault-finding era. That's what Jesus does. He shows up as light in the darkness of a fault-finding area. And so where everyone around him is ready to point the finger at the groom, where everyone around him is able to see the thing that he's about to be the most ashamed of, Jesus interrupts that. 
He interrupts the, the faults. He interrupts the mistakes. He interrupts the shame and the embarrassment in order to give him new eyes. New eyes to see who Jesus is and to see who Jesus sees him as. Throughout the season of Lent, this is what we want to do. We want to give you new eyes to see, to see things not in the darkness, but to see things in the light. To see things in light of Jesus, the light of the world, who opens our eyes. Instead of sin, we can see glory. Instead of blame, we can see an opportunity. Instead of our past, we can see a future because the light of the world shines in the darkness. And this miracle all happens because of a little request from Mary. Which is fascinating to me because what we see in Mary is Mary also then shining the light in the darkness. That if Jesus is the light of the world, the reason the light of the world showed up at that party was because Mary invited the light of the world to do something at that party. Because Mary believed Jesus could do something for the people she cared about. And so Mary asked Jesus to turn water into wine, which Jesus responded in a response that seemed like the darkness was going to linger a little bit longer. He says, well, it's not, it's not time. It's not time to do something, but then Jesus would do something. Jesus changed the water to the wine. He invaded the darkness in that first miracle. It's a glimpse of Jesus pushing back on the darkness. A glimmer of light because his mom is worried about the people at the party, because his mom is worried about her friends, because she knows he needs what Jesus offers. Maybe for some of you, that's the miracle you're waiting for Jesus to do. That there's somebody in your life that you know you want Jesus to invade their darkness. And you are asking God on their behalf, God, can you do something? Because you know the God you worship and you know he can do something. You know he's the light. You know the joy he can bring. You know the way he can rescue from shame. You know the way that he can forgive any and every sin. And so maybe you, like Mary, are asking Jesus, Jesus, can you do something? Can you show up in their life in that situation? Can you do what only you can do for them? And what I want to remind you is Jesus cares about your request. That just like Jesus listened to Mary, Jesus hears your prayer. He cares about the people that you care about. The challenge is not an easy thing to desire that, to have the faith that Mary has. Because Mary, when she hears Jesus say no, she doesn't just sit there and say, Jesus, where, where are you? Which is a valid response. And in fact, it's an important response. But she does something remarkable in this situation. She has faith and says to the servants of the party, do whatever he says. So Mary hears the no of Jesus, but has the faith that he is not going to do nothing. Maybe for you, you're praying for something and you feel like God's not going to do anything. I want to encourage you to have the faith of Mary. The faith of Mary that would say, well, do whatever he says. Follow Jesus because he's going to do something. Because Jesus always shows up. Because Jesus always invades the dark places to trust that Jesus is worth doing whatever he says. And so when Jesus does decide that he's going to do something at this party, the servants are ready. Because Mary told the servants, do whatever he asks. And so he says, we'll start filling up the jars to the brim. Get it ready. And then people soon would be amazed. And all of a sudden, everybody who was at that party, their life, their experience at that party is different because of Mary's faith. I believe often in our own lives that your life is different because somebody else believed. And I also believe 
that somebody else's life will be different because you believed that Jesus is the light of the world. This past few days, I had a chance to spend some time with a number of middle schoolers and high schoolers on a retreat. And I believe what I experienced on the retreat is just that, that there are a number of leaders. We had 20-something adults who took time off of work to come to be small group leaders for a bunch of teenagers on a retreat, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And because they showed up, and because they believed that Jesus is the light of the world, and they believed that Jesus is worth following, that it changed the life of a number of our teenagers who struggled to believe that God could love them no matter what, who struggled to believe that they are who Jesus says he are, but because those adults in their life believed in Jesus and were ready to do whatever he said, it changed the faith of our students. We started the retreat talking about lies, talking about darkness. The darkness of our own mind, the darkness of our own hearts, the lies we believe because of the things we've done, the things we've said, and talk about the guilt. And it's not just a message for middle school students or high school students. It's a message for all of us. Many of us adults on the trip were wrecked as well because God is reminding us there are some lies that we believe about ourselves. There are some things that we are ashamed of and embarrassed of. There are some things that haven't happened that we are deeply afraid of. Yet for us, those become an identity for ourselves. Yet also, as we prayed over those things and as adults and as leaders were able to speak those truths over students about how Jesus invades those dark moments, what we were then reminded of was that Jesus speaks something different. Because when Jesus takes water, he turns it into wine. He gives something else. And what I know about that retreat is that's what happened. Not water into wine. That would be a problem. Um, But what, what happened is Jesus showed up and it was a party. It was a party with laughter and with tears and with joy because there were some people who believed that Jesus would do something in the life of these students. And so students, they wrote on the board about who Jesus said they were, and they were writing things like, I'm indispensable, or I'm not a mistake. I am loved. I am worthy. Which only days earlier, the truth was far darker than that. And it happens because that's what Jesus does. And in fact, the whole season of Lent is about that transformation. It's about a transformation that begins in the darkness. A transformation that happens when we are honest about our own dark places. When we are honest about our sin. When we are honest about the things we are ashamed of. When we're honest about our fears. That's called confession. And repentance isn't just confessing those things, though. It's being honest before God about those and then being open to the transformation that Jesus wants to make. Repentance is a change in direction. And so while we were walking and headed towards the lies, towards the guilt, into the darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, invites us to walk into the light. And I believe that's the truth for you, that Jesus invites you to walk into his light. That Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world who has transformed the darkness and has invited you into the hope of who he is. That Jesus isn't here to find your faults. Jesus isn't here to point out the pain of your past. Jesus is here to invite you into something far bigger than yourself. Something that may seem even small and insignificant, but is in the part of a vast story as you follow Jesus wherever he takes you. So as we close, I want to invite you to pray. What I also want to encourage you to do is in your home, often on Ash Wednesday, we will end service by putting ashes on our forehead as a reminder that we have been marked by Jesus. Um, Unless you have like a fireplace ready with ashes, you probably don't have ashes handy. Um, 
But what I wanna encourage you to do, if you're not watching this alone, I want to still encourage you to remind yourself that you are marked by Jesus and remind the people you are watching with that they're marked by Jesus. And so if, if you could, after we pray, there'll be a chance for us to respond um, in singing. And while that happens, I just invite you to, with the people you are watching with, or, or if you're watching alone, to even just mark yourself, to put a sign of the cross on your head with your finger and say, you are marked by the love of Jesus. And this is a reminder, not just of your sin. It reminds us that we, we are sinful. Sure, that's why we use ashes, but it's more important than the sin. The mark is the cross. The mark is your worth, that you are worth Jesus' life, that you're worth dying for. And so I'm going to pray, and then I encourage you to put sign of the cross on your head, your kid's head, your friend's head, whoever you are watching this with, and then we'll respond in song and close with a blessing. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, that you are a God who shows up and that when you show up, that there is no amount of darkness that is too dark. And we, we thank you that you show up and you invade and push back on the dark places. Thank you for being a God who brings joy, a God who brings love, a God who loves without condition, conditions, a God who forgives. Help us to believe that. Help us to be transformed of that love and help us to walk in that invitation to walk in the light wherever you would lead us. In your name we pray.